Welcome to another episode of Students Talk Security. We have a very exciting and relevant topic today as we will be discussing corruption, cartels, and US-Mexico cooperation with Professor Guillermo Trejo, who has worked directly with the Mexican government. My name is Tatiana Pernetti, and I am a senior at Notre Dame and a fellow at the Notre Dame International Security Center. Guillermo Trejo is an associate professor of political science at the University of Notre Dame and a faculty fellow at the Kellogg Institute for International Studies. Trejo's research focuses on political and criminal violence, social movements, human rights, and transitional justice. He is the director of the Violence and Transitional Justice Lab at the Kellogg Institute. Professor Trejo is the author of two books and more than 30 articles and book chapters for which he has received seven international awards from the American Political Science Association and the American Sociological Association. Trejo just published a book last month titled Votes, Drugs, and Violence, The Political Logic of Criminal Wars in Mexico, which seeks to explain the outbreak of major drug wars in Mexico as the country transitioned from authoritarian rule to democracy. He is also advising me on my thesis on rule of law in Latin America. Thank you so much for being here, Professor Trejo. Thanks for the invitation, Tatiana. Pleasure to be here. Of course. I know you to be extremely qualified to speak on this topic. Could you please describe the nature of your relationship with the Mexican government and what contributions you've made to their democratic transition? Well, I I have been involved in uh, um, uh, with civil society in Mexico for a long time. Um, I was involved with uh, grassroots movements in the 90s uh, when I was a college student. Um, trying to promote free and fair elections. Mexico was an authoritarian regime until 2000. So I was part of uh, um, multiple groups uh, from civil society trying to uh, assure that Mexico would have free and fair elections. More recently, in the past five, seven years, I've been part of uh, multiple networks of human rights uh, organizations and academics. Um, We've been um, advocating for a transitional justice process in Mexico. working uh, and demanding truth, uh, justice, reparations for hundreds of thousands of victims uh, of uh, the war on drugs in Mexico in the past 12 years, but also uh, uh, more generally for victims of political violence in Mexico in the past 50 years. So my my work has been engaging the government um, in different rounds of negotiations uh, uh, leading to uh, a transitional justice process uh, I'm unhappy to say that uh, we haven't made much progress. Uh, we did initially, but the, the conversations have been uh, stuck. Mm-hmm. To provide context for our listeners, could you please briefly describe the recent arrest of Mexico's former top defense official, General Salvador Cienfuegos? Yeah, that's um, it's it's um, it's it's a breaking point in in, in Mexico's contemporary history. This arrest. Uh, um, uh, general uh, Salvador Cienfuegos is a retired general, um, member of the Mexican military. He served as a, a Minister of Defense in Mexico from 2012 to 2018. Uh, so this comes as a, as a, as a, as a surprising shock. Um, uh, he served under the administration, the PR administration of President uh, uh, Peña Nieto. And uh, um, General Cienfuegos uh, has a long history uh, of um, um, uh, human rights violations. Uh, He was uh, um, 
generally he was uh, he was head of uh, different regional divisions uh, in Mexico in from 2005 to 2012. Um, he was uh, in charge of specific military zones where um, cartels were um, fighting for turf, um, hotspots of drug, drug trafficking areas. Um, and in many of those areas, uh, he was uh, involved or the military was involved in um, long history of uh, uh, human rights violations. Um, there's also evidence of corruption um, in his, uh, um, uh, specifically during the time when he was uh, Secretary of Defense, white collar corruption. Uh, but uh, the, the charges that uh, the, um, the investigation of the Drug Enforcement Agency and uh, um, the, uh, the judge in, 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 in a courtroom in New York are pressing against him charges on money laundering and drug trafficking uh, are new, uh, even in Mexico. So this came as a surprise. Um, the, the general um, was, this is, a, this is an, an investigation that started in uh, 20, 2010, 2012, took a long time um, uh, for the Drug Enforcement Agency to conduct this investigation uh, and uh, um, charges were pressed, uh, um, but uh, uh, U.S. authorities waited until uh, General Cienfuegos uh, entered the U.S. Um, and uh, a few weeks ago, he was, uh, he was arrested and uh, he will uh, uh, face trial in the, in the next few months and years. Right. Thank you for that. Um, some U.S. officials argue that we should have prioritized our long-term relationship with Mexico rather than the pursuits of the DEA and the DOJ, as this seems like we're discrediting Mexico's sovereignty and military, which is their most venerated institution. Do you agree? Does this damage co future cooperation and particularly against narcotics trafficking? Well, it, it, it's a very complicated question, uh, set of questions that you're raising here, but uh, very important ones. Um, I think um, on the one hand, uh, indeed, I mean, this is a unilateral action taken by the Drug Enforcement Agency, which in previous years, it has been taking many uni unilateral actions, not only in Mexico, but in other countries. Um, in the region. Um, this is an investigation, um, uh, the investigation against uh, um, uh, General uh, Cienfuegos that, that did not involve uh, Mexican cooperation or cooperation from the Mexican government. The Mexican government, as a matter of fact, uh, knew very little about this investigation until very recently. Um, so it was agents from the Drug Enforcement Agent, Agency which, uh, who, who are permanently, permanently deployed in Mexico who conducted this investigation. And as you can imagine, uh, uh, this is, this is, uh, this is a, a very sensitive uh, uh, action. I mean, imagine if Russian agents were doing the same in the US. Uh, uh, of course, that would raise uh, major concerns. And uh, on, on grounds of sovereignty, of course, uh, there's uh, reasons to question the unilateral actions of the Drug Enforcement Agency. That's one. At the same time, um, uh, um, if we think about the, the immediate future of General Cienfuegos, that uh, he's being accused of, uh, or there's, there's, he's facing charges of money laundering of, and drug trafficking, and he'll uh, face trial um, um, based on those grounds. What we know in the recent history of uh, not, not uh, people of this level in the Mexican government, this is the first time that a, minister, a former Minister of Defense 
is uh, um, accused and uh, will undergo trial in U.S. courts. Uh, but what we know from um, other cases of extradition, say Chapa Guzman, the, the, the Mexican drug dealer who um, uh, faced trial in the same courtroom, or other officials, uh, um, former Mexican officials who are uh, facing trial, um, in all those cases, there's nothing about human rights violations. Um, there's a, um, most of the charges are, 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 um, uh, that are typically pressed or people are prosecuted for issues that are of interest um, to the drug enforcement agency and uh, um, to a very narrow understanding of what's relevant for the US government and for the US uh, people. Um, this disregard for human rights can be very damaging. And I, I would say uh, the fact that the, to uh, the fact to Mexico, the Mexican government is outsourcing um, uh, justice to US courts. Uh, it means that uh, um, it's not necessarily Mexican interest, but uh, US interest and, and more specifically uh, interest of specific agencies uh, that transpire in these, in these, um, in these uh, cases. On the other hand, I would say uh, the arrest of General Cienfuegos has politically opened uh, the possibility uh, for um, uh, pressing the Mexican government to, to, to conduct true investigations. And this is where transitional justice comes in, an area where I've done a lot of work. Um, Mexico transitioned from authoritarian rule to democracy, uh, but it was a truly, Mexico established a thin democracy, not a liberal democracy, an illiberal democracy. So Mexico went from one party rule to multi-party elections, but without developing a democratic rule of law. Um, the, the army was never uh, reformed, um, um, the, the, the police, um, the judicial system, uh, and as a result, you had lots of collusion uh, between different uh, state judicial agents and uh, drug traffickers that uh, had developed under authoritarian rule and uh, were not uh, taken care of in democracy. Uh, so, uh, in, in, in Mexico, one of the uh, most autonomous institutions, uh, one of those institutions that uh, indeed um, uh, enjoy high popularity rates, uh, but who are completely unaccountable, um, is the Mexican military. So people like me, scholars like me, while I, uh, I am dissatisfied with the unilateral actions from um, the Drug Enforcement Agency on grounds of sovereignty, I recognize the political opportunity of pushing the Mexican government um, to really look into um, uh, the long history of uh, human rights violations, corruption, and engagement with criminality of multiple members of, of the security sector, specifically the armed forces. Mm -hmm. Great. So on that, what effect do you think this condemnation will have on the image and effectiveness of Mexico's new government, especially considering that this is the second charge of this nature, the first being the indictment of Mexico's public security minister, Genaro Garcia Luna, last December? Well, um, this is interesting. And this is to, to respond to your question, again, a, a very important question, um, uh, what I would say is uh, um, we need to understand that uh, um, uh, both General Cienfuegos was uh, um, a minister of uh, uh, on the PRI administration, and um, uh, Garcia Luna, uh, the former um, uh, 
Minister of uh, Public Security uh, served uh, under pan administrations. So uh, let me just uh, elaborate a little bit on that because it's important. Uh, uh, pretty much from uh, 1988 until uh, 2018 for 30 years, um, Mexico was for all practical purposes ruled by a bipartisan agreement between the PRI and the PAN. Um, uh, they created some type of duopoly um, and it was an agreement by which both parties pushed for market-oriented reforms. Um, the PAN was really at the lead of uh, uh, these reforms. The PRI, sometimes some members of the PRI were in favor of these reforms, others were not. But uh, um, uh, they, what really um, allowed the PAN to enlist the PRI support specifically after 2000, the PAN ruled from 2000 uh, to 2012, was that uh, once Mexico transitioned to democracy, uh, the PRI said, if you want us to support these market-oriented reforms, you need to give up on any transitional justice processes, give up on any reforms of the military, the police. We're not gonna look back into seven decades, seven decades of PRI rule and atrocities. So what we need to understand is that uh, both ministers uh, belong to this duopoly. Um, uh, Garcia Luna was part of the PAN governments. He was uh, uh, in charge of, uh, um, over the years, of uh, multiple investigative agencies in charge of uh, uh, drug trafficking. And then he became um, uh, chief of the federal police and then eventually head of the, uh, head of the uh, Minister of uh, Public Security. But he was very much associated with the PAN. Uh, General Cienfuegos was very much associated with the PRI. So in principle, um, these two cases may benefit uh, the current government, which is a leftist government. Um, uh, President Andres Manuel Obrador has been uh, very critical of this uh, uh, duopoly pre-PAN. Um, he's uh, ran important uh, campaigns and now in government he's uh, uh, become the biggest critique of this 30-year rule of the PRI and the PAN. So in principle, when uh, uh, General Cienfuegos when, was arrested, um, his reaction was uh, not so negative. Initially, he said, well, uh, let's see what uh, uh, General Cienfuegos did. A few hours later, probably members of the military reacted uh, to the president and said, you cannot say this. And, uh, and then he started taking a more critical note. Uh, and um, uh, the 24, uh, 24 hours later, he was demanding um, uh, uh, an investigation on the work that the Drug Enforcement Agency had done. Um, members of the uh, Mexican military are uh, deeply concerned um, uh, with this uh, accusation. But of course, the Mexican military um, right now um, is playing such an important role in the current uh, leftist administration. It's, uh, it's been a complete surprise for many of us how uh, a candidate, a leftist candidate who was very critical of the armed forces now um, is uh, ruling uh, in coalition with uh, the armed forces and specifically the military. The military is in charge of public security. Um, the new government created uh, a new um, national police, which is in, in, in the hands of the military. The military is constructing a new airport in, in, in the central part of the country, is uh, um, building a high-speed train in the southeast uh, part of the country. For the, the, the military is for all practical purposes. 
um, the um, ruling partner of uh, uh, um, President Andrés Manuel López Obrador. So this type of uh, attacks against the, the, the Mexican military in the eyes of uh, the members of the military themselves um, can be very compromising, can be very complicated in terms of governance. Uh, and at the same time, speaking as a member of civil society, we use this opportunity to actually question what the president is doing. You cannot militarize Mexico's political um, life, social life, the way uh, he has done it uh, for reasons that uh, the arrest of Cienfuegos really shows. He's not just a bad apple. It really shows that there's something fundamentally wrong with the system that we can talk about later. Great. Um, well, I know he also has proposed to indict his predece predecessors for corruption. Um, and clearly, Mexican drug cartels rely on government corruption. So how do you think they will react to these indictments and arrests? Well, what's interesting is that uh, um, President uh, López Obrador has... Um, uh, he proposed uh, a referendum to ask the Mexican people where, whether they wanted to um, uh, bring to justice uh, every former Mexican president uh, who was part of this PRI pan coalition that ruled Mexico for 30 years. Um, uh, again, many in the human rights community and in academia, myself included, were very critical of that because uh, um, if someone has violated human rights, um, if a leader, if a statesman, a statesperson, a stateswoman has violated human rights, in this case, all these uh, male presidents, uh, many of them are involved in gross human rights violations, that's not something that you put uh, on a referendum. Uh, states have to act uh, because uh, states have responsibilities and victims have rights. This is not something that you ask in a referendum whether you do it or not. But in any case, he went ahead um, and, and the case was contested, uh, ended up in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uh, um, uh, um, uh, concluded in favor of the president, changing the type of question that will be asked. But uh, um, uh, next semester, the question will be asked. And uh, it's, it's very likely that most Mexicans would say, well, of course, um, uh, Mexico needs to um, uh, bring uh, former presidents to justice. Um, now, what does that mean? And, and again, you know, we, we believe many of us in civil societies that uh, um, the problem is not necessarily, or it's not only the former presidents. Um, the problem is more structural. You need to look into uh, the armed forces and the military, and you need to look into the federal police, and you need to look into the, um, uh, the public prosecutor's office. But Mexico, like the U.S., is a federal system. Uh, and a lot of the networks of corruption and criminality. So most of the protection that cartels actually uh, strive for, uh, they don't shoot straight to the top. Uh, because, um, and let me just share an, an, a definition of, uh, of drug trafficking. Drug trafficking is a, a, a global chain of local operations. So for cartels, protection at the local level, at the subnational level is absolutely crucial. So if you look at the nodes of protection, uh, informal uh, networks of government protection, it typically involves governors and uh, state attorney generals and uh, uh, chiefs of state police or municipal police. 
um, many of the networks or the engagement of uh, the likely engagement, um, again, that General Sinfuegos uh, developed with one specific cartel, uh, he's accused of having protected uh, the Beltran Leyva organization. Um, uh, well, many of those engagement uh, uh, of, of those engagements, to the extent that they existed, they most likely uh, emerged when the general was deployed in specific areas in the south, and when he was a, 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 a zone commander, a military zone commander, because most of those engagements really begin at the local subnational level. So um, what does this mean for uh, uh, drug trafficking organizations? Um, the arrest of uh, General Cienfuegos, um, I think to the extent that uh, um, there's really, uh, that both the US and Mexico continue to, uh, uh, to, to, to generate investigations and to the extent that prosecution relies on this assumption that it's just a few bad apples uh, the cartels are very happy because they understand that it's not just a question of a few bad apples. It's a question of uh, uh, networks of collusion, uh, criminal structures. So um, General Cienfuegos is gone, but then there's uh, to the extent that you don't change, um, uh, you don't make uh, the security forces more accountable to civilians, to the extent that you don't develop internal mechanisms, external mechanisms of oversight, to the extent that you don't, uh, as Mexico has failed to do, including uh, current president uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, to the extent that you don't transform fundamentally um, uh, the security sector, the judicial sector, and, and develop a democratic rule of law, cartels will continue to profit, regardless of who's, who's in prison in the US or not, because uh, the system remains in place, uh, the system that provides opportunities for these network relations, uh, and as a result, this, this may not change uh, uh, that much. It, it, it affects the Mexican government politically, but I don't think it affects criminal markets that much. Right, thank you for that. If President Trump wins the election, he will most likely threaten to impose tariffs to force Mexico to increase its efforts to stop drug trafficking as he did last year. Do you think the US should, be, should take a more hands-on approach or continue to intimidate Mexico to address these problems on their own. Again, that's a that's a that's a good question. Um, uh, but let me take a step back and and and, and say uh, this bullying, this international bullying of the current administration of uh, uh, threatening to impose tariffs unless uh, the Mexican government militarizes. Uh, um, uh, uh, its own uh, immigration policies. I mean, and I have to say it as a Mexican citizen, I find it shameful how the Mexican military has been used um, to uh, detain, suppress, and, and, and often um, violate human rights of uh, uh, Central American immigrants coming from Honduras, El Salvador, um, Guatemala, uh, but also to suppress the rights of many um, um, Mexican citizens. Uh, many of, uh, of which uh, are escaping from realities, not just of uh, poverty and destitution, uh, and droughts, economic crisis, that's there, that's a, that's, that's a main driver of, uh, um, of, of why people uh, decide to leave their own countries and, and, and um, uh, in many of these cases uh, come north and try to enter into the US. 
But what the, many of these policies, and I think the current administration, um, but I would say also the, the, the Obama administration ignored, was uh, many developments on the ground by which uh, cartels, criminal organizations, gangs are creating what we call uh, subnational criminal governance regimes, uh, in which, say, you take El Salvador, uh, gangs control uh, people, territories, uh, uh, um, they uh, extort local businesses and populations. They uh, control who comes into the neighborhood, who goes who goes in, who goes out. Uh, they control political life. Um, the way the, the the Salvadorian government confronts that is by uh, military through through military strategies of iron fist policies, and that we have known for a long time that only creates violence. People are escaping from that violence. You can tell a similar story about Mexico. Um, and, 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 and this results in something uh, very unique of the past decade. The number of uh, uh, um, uh, uh, political asylum petitioners. So people are coming on the US-Mexico border, no longer trying to uh, hire a coyote and then smuggle through the, through, the, through the border. The majority of them, many of them are, are actually asking for political asylum because they are confronting realities of criminal wars. Um, they are um, uh, subject to, 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 the, to the atrocities committed in the context of criminal governance. Um, so we need to change completely uh, the way we think about this, not just the US administration, but Mexico, Central American governments. And I think, let me just very quickly take you, and you'll recognize this because uh, in class, we've discussed this, uh, the role of the International Commission Against Impunity in Guatemala. So, and let me just uh, um, uh, speak just for a, few, for a few minutes about that experience, because it, it, it really presents an alternative to the way that uh, the US government and uh, Mexico's government and many other governments are dealing with problems of drug trafficking. Um, uh, and uh, to a great extent, uh, what uh, the US government has encouraged is uh, um, militarizing uh, law enforcement. So give up, um, uh, put law enforcement uh, and public security in, in the hands of the military in Mexico, in El Salvador, in Guatemala, in Colombia. Uh, follow the, um, the Kimping strategy by which the military would not just deploy the armed forces, um, declare war on cartels or gangs, but try to arrest or kill leaders of these uh, um, uh, gangs or cartels. Uh, and uh, what we've uh, uh, seen over the years is that this really has resulted and this has provoked a massive escalation of violence to unprecedented levels. So what's the alternative? Um, uh, what uh, um, what uh, the US government and Mexican governments and Salvadorian governments and what the, the government in El Salvador have tried to do is to dismantle these cartels and these gangs through force, through military force. Well, that doesn't work. That backlashes and created, creates more, more violence. But the alternative is really what Guatemala developed. Guatemala by 2004, five was one of the most violent countries in the world. And Guatemala experienced over the course of 10 years from 2008 to 2018, one of the most dramatic and sustained declines in homicide rates and violence. And one of the key reasons um, was uh, the participation of the United Nations. Again, the United Nations creates this international uh, 
Commission Against Impunity, and uh, international officials appointed by the UN uh, with the support of all the embassies of uh, Western European countries, the European Union, Scandinavian countries, and most importantly, the US embassy, the active support of the US embassy. Uh, the CC was operated by the United Nations, but, but was financed to a great extent um, by the US. Um, they put together um, uh, a commission by which international experts would work hand in hand with Guatemala's public prosecutors, the police, the forensics. Um, over the years, they dismantled 70 criminal structures, similar to the Zetas or the Sinaloa cartel. Um, they dismantled structures of corruption, white collar corruption. Almost at one point, every uh, uh, former living president from Guatemala was in prison. Um, uh, but also many generals and members of uh, the military and, and chiefs of police and mayors and people from the business community who were part of many of these criminal structures. So they did it through uh, investigation and prosecution at a very professional level. But I think what's most important and most shocking uh, if you contrast the Mexican experience is that uh, with the support of the CC, Guatemala created special courts. Um, they're called Tribunales de Mayor Riesgo. And these are high risk courts where many of these uh, top level criminals, uh, uh, former heads of state, former heads of the military uh, would face trial. So it was in Guatemala's courts where all this was happening. And if you contrast with Mexico, Mexico is uh, um, delegating these to US courts. Uh, and at the same time, it's doing the dirty work of militarizing and combating many of these groups through force. The Guatemalan experience really shows not just Mexico, Latin America and the world, a very interesting experience. This experience came to an end and I would, uh, I'm finishing with this, uh, sadly, because in 20, uh, uh, in 2018, um, the U.S. Embassy and the U.S. government really pulled the plug uh, um, and stopped financing the CSIC, partly because the CSIC uh, went uh, against uh, um, the then incumbent president of Guatemala, Jimmy Morales. They discovered that there was dirty money in his election campaign, and they opened an investigation. The president did not like that. And uh, he, President Jimmy Morales stroke a very close alliance with President Trump, partly because he supported um, uh, the US uh, decision to move the US embassy uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Uh, and Jimmy Morales said, we support that, we'll do the same in Guatemala. He came very close to please um, the immigration policy that the Trump administration asked him to do. Uh, and in reward, um, um, I think um, there's, uh, um, there's uh, many traces of evidence that uh, lead many of us to believe that as a result, the U.S. decided to withdraw support uh, for the CSIG and the CSIG closed down in 2019. Uh, again, there's a lot to learn there um, of an alternative way of doing it. It's called internationalized prosecution in which domestic actors take the lead role not through uh, iron fist policies, but I insist uh, uh, through truth and justice uh, mechanisms. Great, well, thank you so very much for your time and insights today, Professor Trejo. This concludes this episode of Students Talk Security. 
And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. Go Irish! If you'd like to follow the Notre Dame International Security Center seminar series, please visit our website at politicalscience.nd.edu forward slash n-d-i-s-c forward slash or follow us on Twitter at hashtag nd underscore isc. Please note that opinions expressed in the seminar series are solely those of the participants or speakers, not of the International Security Center or the University of Notre Dame, which take no institutional position. Music for this podcast is licensed under Sample Swap.